Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's my trademark. (laughs) Thank you all for coming to Empowering Yourself Surrounding Mental Health and Well-Being. Some of you may have heard in the board meeting earlier this week that the Mental Health Committee has been formed. And today, we're going to have a great presentation by the chair of this newly formed committee, Pam Shaw. There'll be some time for questions um, and maybe some comments as well. So, Pam, are you ready to go? Sure, I'm ready whenever you're ready. (laughs) All right, let's all give Pam a round of applause real quick. (laughs) We got got quite a few folks in the room, Pam, so I'm really excited about this. Take it away. Me too, me too. Well, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for giving me this unique opportunity to share with you from the perspective of self-advocacy. We're going to be talking about what it means and how does one take steps to become truly a self-advocate when it comes to mental health. First of all, let me introduce myself to you. Uh, You know that I am Pam Shaw, and I live just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I am transitioning. I've been doing some life coaching, but I've really made that decision to restart myself as a mental health professional. I love this field. I've been in this field for um, more than 40 years. And yes, I started when I was two. Okay, (laughs) um, It's hard to believe that it's been that long. And it's been a pleasure to watch what is happening in mental health. So today, there are a couple of things that I want to lay for you, and they are foundational to our discussion. One of the things we want to learn about mental health is that it is as important as physical health and should be treated that way. And we want to normalize the idea of taking care of your mental health just as you do your physical health. The second thing is we want to begin to get away from the stigma of mental health. A lot of people have a misunderstanding about what this is all about. And the moment they hear mental health, they have all kinds of mythology and all kinds of images, some incorrect, that they've gotten from the media and other places. And the theme, I think, that we've carried out as we've begun our work is stigma-free in ACB. The third thing that I think is very important is to remember that whether it's your medical health or your physical health as you define it, or your mental health, you are not alone. So let's get started on what this thing called self-advocacy in mental health is really all about. Self-advocacy is essentially defined as understanding and knowing what your needs are and then communicating those needs to others. It's important to be, it's important because it encourages us to be more independent as well as gain confidence in ourselves and our choices in our mental health care. And so that's kind of where we are. 
And as we think about this whole concept, what I'm going to be working with you through is what I've titled for this afternoon, 10 Steps to be to being an effective self-advocate. I would like to suggest before we get into our 10 steps, just the way I think about it, but you'll see some of it reflected um, as we go through each step. The truth of the matter is that, and here I come again with these words that start with P. That's been my theme for some reason through the convention. But one of the things that we should think about doing is preparing for the need to advocate for ourselves when it comes to mental health. Just as we have life insurance, just as we have prevention activities that we do, like our um, annual medical checkup, we should be preparing for the real possibility that we will need some assistance when it comes to our mental health. Why is that? Well... I can tell it to you in a four-letter word, and the word is just life. Things happen. Things happen that challenge us. They can be the loss of a loved one or a job or even our physical health. There are things also that happen external to us, such as a pandemic or a major natural disaster. So there's this thing called life. So it stands to reason that there are going to be those times when our mental health is challenged just as our physical health can be challenged by something such as COVID. So we need to kind of think as this as a prepare, preparation and a normal one. And I often think about as we prepare, there'll be some other things that we'll talk about, but there's going to be a point where we need to do some planning so that we'll have some ideas what to do if and when those moments come. And I think the other thing, too, is that we have to be prepared, and I say it this way, but practice. Practice being an advocate for ourselves and for our other, for others and advocates also in the community. And I just want to share this thought with you, and I'm not going to ask you to uh, do anything like raise your hands in Zoom or even do this in the room, but I want you to be honest enough to say that there are those times when you're just not okay. And so the one thing we want to convey to you this afternoon, that it's okay to not be okay. Every day doesn't have to be sunny and, you know, sunshiny and you're just always the one. When I was in college, we had an opportunity in a sociology class and we were supposed to challenge a norm, do something different relative to a norm and come back with a paper to explain to the teacher what happened. And so what I did was I decided that whenever somebody asked me how I was doing, I was going to give them a strange answer to see what their response would be. So, for example, if someone said, and I really did use this one, somebody said, um, how are you doing today? And I said, I died last night. And the person said, hey, that's good news. <laughs> and I realized that often when we say things, people may not even hear us. And so those are going to be those times when we're going to have to speak up and, and make it known. Also, if you're going to challenge social norms, just be ready because you never know what's going to happen. And, and I remember 
saying to someone when they asked me how I was doing, I said, well, I robbed a bank. And they just said, oh, yeah, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I don't even think they heard me or were they really listening. So sometimes people, because of being hung up in their own things, they don't hear us. And that's why we are often the ones who have to speak up and speak for ourselves. So, again, think of the theme of getting rid of the stigma. Think about you are not alone as we go through the steps. What I'd like to do, Anthony, if you think it's okay, since it seems like we're going to have the time, Mm -hmm. is perhaps um, if you think this will work, after we go through each of the steps, maybe we could do some quick commentary or Q&A, if you think that's okay? I actually think that would be great. And I will start you off, Miss Pam. Okay. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, um, Mm -hmm. practice prepared Great words, but how do we know, or what are some ways that we would know when it's gone beyond like stress or sad Mm -hmm, or a mm -hmm. bad day and and that we'd have to enact those practice and, you know, start to advocate for ourselves? Good question. Good question. Why don't we start with, because you just did a great segue into what I'll call step one. Okay. All right. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) This is why you do things like this. So step one, believe it or not, everybody, in our talking about the steps to becoming an effective self-advocate is starting with, Anthony, some belief in yourself. You're a unique and valuable person. You are worth the effort it takes to advocate for yourself and protect your rights. You can do it. You may need to work on raising your self-esteem to really believe in yourself and because, and I'm sorry, and become your own best advocate. So thinking about what you just said about how do you know when, when you feel that there is something different, that there is something that needs attention, that you want to start with um, as much as you can increase your self-awareness okay that's great all right here's here's number two how about this one know your rights this is important to being a self-advocate because you do have rights in this situation you're entitled to, to equality under the law some of us who have had mental health challenges erroneously believe that we don't have the same rights as others. This is the author who wrote a lot of this, said he's sharing his own experience about it. He said, I did this for a while. He allowed allowed people he didn't know well and did not trust to make decisions for him and take control of his life. And he now says that I now have systems in place. So if I'm not able to make good decisions for myself, others of my choice will make them for me. This is very important because one of the things that we experience when we have these kinds of situations or crises is the feeling that we have lost control. And even though we're talking about advocacy, it's good advocacy to have set things up in such a way 
that if it needs to happen, that's very interesting. You know what we have. We do all kinds of things like living wills and power of attorney. I'm not an attorney, but I think you're familiar with those kinds of things to protect us when it comes to our medical situations. You can do the same thing for your mental health situations. I have um, one of those myself that if I get to the point that I can't make certain decisions for myself, there are people who I have empowered to do that. Comments, questions on that one? That's number two, Anthony. All right. So if there's anyone in the room with a comment or a question, please say your name and I will repeat the question back out to Pam. All right. How about on the Zoom? Sharon? Thank you very much. My name is Sharon from Massachusetts. And I'm really interested to hear what you just said, Pam, about setting up systems for a mental health crisis, uh, Mm -hmm. because I did not have that uh, when I had a mental health crisis maybe four years ago. Fortunately, um, I had enough people around me that it worked out all right. But can you elaborate a little more about what kinds of things could be put into a legal document around that? Thank you. Okay. I'm not an attorney, so I can't give you really, really, really legal advice, but I can respond in in some general terms, okay? Sure. Um, This is the other thing to remember. Uh, Each state has different laws, so sometimes that's what impacts it, too. You have to know, you know, what the rules are in your state. But um, what I can do is just share my own personal one. Mine talks about the use of certain types of medications, Mine talks about if I need, if I become, you know, unsafe, a danger to myself and others, mm-hmm, what type mm-hmm. of care I would like, okay? Um, yeah. Mine certainly talks about, because this also comes up on your uh, power of attorney, who I want to really make that decision. That's really important, okay, because um, I have three brothers and two sisters, and mine could create a family fight. Okay, so I, just, <laughs> I get that. Yes. Okay, that it makes more sense to say of one person who can do it. Also, um, it's connected to the power of attorney because if it gets to the point, for example, where I can't handle uh, my own finances or um, things of that uh, of need, that kind of a nature. So it would be okay. that kind of thing. And I think, um, thank you very much for that. And and because now as we're working on the the committee, this is also giving us information on some of the kinds of things and topics that we should have so we can go over it. So thanks for that question right. and, and bringing and it my up. Other, yeah. my, my other comment would be that um, I was aware that I was in a crisis uh, and um, was able to get help and actually had uh, gone for partial hospitalization, which was a wonderful mm-hmm. experience. Um, and I would like to see us talk more about that kind of environment at some point because it meant not having to go to inpatient um but it was very very helpful and i was the first blind person who did it in my area so hopefully that's something the committee can bring up at some point thank you sharon i'm I'm, I'm glad you said that because even as we're doing this i don't forget and i don't want any of us to forget that we are also very much talking in the context of um, people who are blind and those with low vision because it is an experience. Just the one thing, because it makes a difference whether you would prefer um, an outpatient, um, there are levels of inpatient or full inpatient. Anthony, were there some more hands up, though? 
Before we take the next hand, when you were talking about that, I also remembered that there is a really, really great section on um, the AARP website that has all types of documents. Um, and they do have a few different mental health documents, um, like templates and or how to get and things like mm -hmm. that. So AARP is a great resource. Mm -hmm. Who's and our we'll next be looking hand? at those as resources too, because we also find that sometimes the documents, even though they're good and what they need, they don't necessarily protect the needs that we may have as um, blind people and people with low vision. So I'm thankful for you to bringing that up. You want us to take some more hands? I think we might sure. still have some. All right, we have a question. A question in the room, Christy. Oh, okay. So I'm wondering. If you are familiar with the work of Marianne Copeland, yes, and <laughs> and and, uh, and I'm I don't know how accessible her materials are, but in my work I used her wellness recovery um, action plan um, that takes people through the whole steps, um, and it's not a legal document, but it's more of a workbook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wonderful to give to people um, to fill out and then um, they can with this document work on a psychiatric advance directive yeah it's a um, and I'm glad you gave the formal name for that some some states call it psychiatric advanced directive some have other names for it I'm familiar with her work it's very very good um, one of the things that I want to um, just say to all of us as we're talking about this is there's a lot of material out here, but no one size fits all. And yes. so it'll be important that you work with your medical provider to help to determine who or who and whoever is providing your mental health care to determine what's going to be the best resource for you. And also, um, I didn't get your name, but one of the things we'll be looking at too is accessible materials. Yeah. Can we get your name so we'll... Christy Crispin. Oh, hi. <laughs> I didn't know that was you. Yeah. Okay. Hi. All right, so let's do a Zoom hand. Okay, Melody. Thank you so much, Pam and Anthony. I've been waiting for one of these. Um, I had a PAD question, and I, I do have three RAP plans. was a part of an original study in 2005. I've had all the IPs, IOPs, PHPs. I would love to help in the future if you need me. Um, I was wondering, in Ohio for a PAD, we need two people who can sign who are not blood family and who are not a part of a healthcare team. I do not have those who are willing or feel that they know enough about my particulars. So what might I do? A couple things. Number one, I just wanted to be clear so we're all clear because I'm used to the alphabet soup, but I want to help people. So when we're talking about a PAD, that would be a psychiatric advanced directive. Okay, so as you know, this language can mean different things in different environments. What I can say, and again, this is state by state, but in most states, and I can't think of one that doesn't have it, there is a mental health law project or a mental health law service program of some type where you can get help, where they can assist you with the assignment of people. There are people who volunteer as advocates. 
um, in certain situations like that. That's generally speaking how it's handled. And again, and a lot of these questions in my mind, I think for those of you who are here have been part of putting this together, they're, they're great topics and things we can go deeper and make sure you get uh, information on it. Thanks a lot, Melody, for the question. So let's do one more hand from Zoom and then we'll take the night. You can go on to the next. Um, okay. Sarah? I wanted to say one quick thing and then I have a question. The thing I wanted to say is in 2015, I actually um, uh, was certified as a certified peer counselor for the state of Washington. I took the classes and was certified. Uh, actually, my classmates were really supportive of my blindness and that they were, I, I had a great class that I worked with. They were great people. And anyway, my question is, um, I have a rare genetic disorder. So when I was a kid, I wasn't tested for, well, what they call it now is ASD, autism spectrum disorder. But I'm on a support group. And when I describe my meltdowns to um, my support group, everybody's like, all the, all the parents are like, have you thought of being tested for autism? And the thing is, well, yeah, I've thought about it, but you know, there's only one place in the state of Washington that actually does it under Medicaid for an adult. It's a nightmare. And so, but my psychiatrist wants to rule everything else out before, you know, like sleep disorders and all that stuff, which, well, yeah, they're there too. But I really, I'm very self-aware. And I do know when I, when um, the best thing I can describe when I have my meltdowns is overload. I am completely overloaded. It's like, I can't, my, my mind just can't handle it. And the rest of the time, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. But, um, you know, that's the one thing I'm having trouble with advocacy on, but that's just because it's so hard to get a hold of. And I wasn't even supposed to have the disease I have because it mostly hits males. Thanks that's for sharing that concern. Um, I think you'll see as we go on, there may be something in these steps that can help you with that. I'll be if listening. But go on, Pam, step Three. Okay, so number, number step three. Hey, you're keeping up. <laughs> Here you go. Decide what you want. Decide what you want. One of the challenges we see sometimes, particularly for those of us who are blind and have low vision, and I think you would agree with me, that there seem to be a number of life situations where people want to make the decisions for us simply because we're blind and we're not even given the opportunity or there is an assumption that our blindness prevents us from making decisions. So clarify for yourself exactly what you need. And this is going to help you set your own goals and help you be clear to others about, it, about what it is that you want and you need for yourself. So that comes in in that practice and planning side of things about being able to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is an important part of self-advocacy in every area of life, but particularly in ours today, as we're talking about it from a mental health perspective. Okay, Anthony, if there are hands and stuff, just let me know. Otherwise, I'll just keep going. Or you want to make a comment? Let's, well, let's do like two Zoom, steps but... at a time, and then okay. we'll do the comments. Okay, so here's number four then. Get the facts. When you advocate for yourself, you need to know what you are talking about or asking for. The internet, of course, is an excellent source of information. However, here's the however, 
you're going to need to check its accuracy by looking at several different references to see if they agree. And as always, please work with your medical, i.e. mental health provider. Here it is. Check with people with expertise in what you are considering and ask others who have issues similar to yours. Check references in the library and contact mental health agencies and organizations for information and support. So that's three and four. All right. Do we have any hands on Zoom? Jeanette? Pam, I'm fascinated by everything that you are saying. Um, I have a different kind of a question, and hopefully it's not off track. Um, I, a while back, was in a situation where I was in a hospital because of a unexpected physical issue. And there were some things that happened that I tried to explain uh, to staff, like why what they were doing was not appropriate. And in the middle of this, they decided I had a mental health issue. It was really about not knowing how to deal with me appropriately regarding physical situations. And it wasn't until three days later I was able to convince them that my mental health was not the problem. I think this is something that really probably is problematic for all of us, whether we have current mental health issues or not. And I think it complicates all of our situations. Um, I guess my question to you is, do we deal with this in the mental health way by creating documents? Should we be tagged when we shouldn't be? Or what steps can we take to deal with this kind of situation? I would say, first of all, this is a lot of um, the kind of thing that we thought about or have experienced in even wanting to put this committee together because this committee came out of the questions and challenges that people had to the point of saying we need to make these types of issues um, an organizational priority because as much as we want to see people get the mental health treatment that they deserve and want and would need, we never want to see somebody misdiagnosed simply because an assumption of based on an assumption that because they're blind or because somebody reacts in a certain way uh, does not necessarily mean that um, mental health is their particular challenge. But again, we still want to normalize the idea of taking care of ourselves from a mental health perspective and being able to articulate our needs and our wants, either by having some pre-planning, so if we need the assistance of someone that we want to make decisions for us, or having the right to make those decisions. That's why we said a little earlier, um, know your rights. You know, know your rights. Thank you for the question. It's giving us great topics to explore for mm -hmm. our future programs. Uh, do we have anyone in the room that has a comment or a question? All right, Pam, step five and six. All right, all right. So here's step five, okay? 
using the information you have gathered, remember we just talked about the gathering, and this is another way to think about it. We've sort of touched on this, but in a little greater detail. Plan a strategy that you feel will work to get what you need and want for yourself. Think of several ways to address the problem. Ask supporters for suggestions. Get feedback on your ideas and then choose to take action, action, i.e., the one that you feel is best and gives you the best chance of being successful. So, again, the matter of choice, the matter of uh, planning and getting information. That's number five. Here's number six, gather support. I like this one. In advocating for what you need and want for yourself, it's always helpful to have support from family members, friends, and other people who have similar issues. Anthony, that's five and six. All right, we'll start with the room this time. Do we have a question or a comment in the room? All right, how about Zoom? Tim Hill. Okay, well, I have, gosh, I have so many problems. And it would take me a long time to, <laughs> to explain every, everything that I, that I have. Well, of course, I was born with RP, um, never had more than 10 degrees peripheral vision, and never had uh, any night vision. I used to have a lot better vision. Uh, Ten years ago, I came down with Parkinson's, and when that happened, I developed pendulum nystagmus, and my eyesight really went downhill, and uh Three years ago, my house burned down. Fifteen months ago, my wife passed away. Um, my dad, my father just recently passed away. And I just have a lot of anger issues. I mean, I've talked to therapists and they, they have nothing for me. I mean, and I talked to ophthalmologists. And I'm tired of hearing ophthalmologists saying they have nothing for me. Um, I can't find an ophthalmologist with enough intelligence to help improve my vision. And I just have a lot of anger issues. And I think I need to start talking to a psychiatrist. I talked to my pastor and he said, I can't believe you're going through all this. And he said, the only thing I can do is just pray for you. And I just think I need to go find myself a psychiatrist. Well, Tim, first, let us say happy 4th of July, and, and we hope that you start feeling better soon. Um, I'm sure in the upcoming months, we're going to have programs on interviewing your therapist or, or potential therapist, um, what kind of questions you would want to ask and things like that. I don't think that we would have any information for you today, but thank you so much for sharing. All right. So you know what? We're going to take um, the last, oh, the rest of the steps, and then we'll do some more questions and comments, and then we'll have Mark's side of the panel. Go on, Pam. So just, so just, go, just go straight through to 10? Yeah, let's go straight through. Okay. Number seven is target efforts. Who is the person, persons, or organizations you need to deal with to get the action on this matter? Talk directly with the person who can best assist you. 
It may take a few phone calls to discover which organization can help or who is in charge, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep trying. Don't give up until you find that right person. And maybe the right person is your spouse or another family member. Um, Perhaps it's the head of the local housing agency, if it's that kind of situation, your doctor, a case manager. It could even be a vocational rehabilitation uh, counselor. Or it could even be a state legislator. That's number seven. Number eight, eight, express yourself clearly. When you are asking for what you need and want for yourself, be brief, stick to the point. Don't allow yourself to be diverted or to ramble on with unimportant details. I'll stick in here right time that every now and then when you go in with a certain type of problem, I've seen all of a sudden, many people have told us this already, folks want to talk about being blind, and you're talking about something else. So you stick to it, okay? State your concern about how you want um, things changed. If the other person tries to tell you reasons why you cannot achieve what you, uh, what it is you want for yourself, repeat again and what it is you want and expect until either it's given to you or give you the help to get it or refer you to someone else who may be able to give you what you want. If you feel this may be difficult for you, then you may want to just role play with different scenarios with a supporter or a counselor. Here's number nine. And number nine is related to number eight, but you'll see how in a minute. Assert yourself clearly. Don't lose your temper and lash out at the other person, their character, or the organization. Speak out, asking for what you need and want, and then listen Respect the rights of others, but don't let them put you down or walk all over you. And here is number 10. I like this one. Be firm and persistent. Don't, keep, don't give up. Keep after what you want. Always follow through on what you say. Dedicate yourself to getting whatever it is you need for yourself. There you go. These are just some steps about self-advocacy in mental health. Thank you, Anthony. That ends my presentation. All right. Do we have any questions or comments here in Omaha? Okay. What's your name? Anne, go ahead. Anne um, just expressed to us that she retired about a year ago and she finds herself in a state now where she doesn't know what she wants. Um, I guess you'd say you're in flux. And so she's wondering if you have any tips on how she can self-advocate herself on how to figure out what she wants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think some of them showed up in this because sometimes what we have to do is check it out with some, um, find some people, number one, who've had similar experiences and how are they handling it. And I can tell you right now, just because of the, what do they call them, the baby boomers coming of age, even through organizations um, such as AARP and others that have a lot of work on that. And also um, we're finding that 
in almost every year of life. So whether you're looking at this through your office on aging or even there's some folks in ACB support in our community groups that are talking about this. I think seeking out similar people is a good idea. Ask around. You're probably right in the room with some of them. You got it. Best wishes to you. And I'm going to throw one in here. I have found that writing letters to myself really helps me clarify my thinking. And a lot of times things that I didn't even realize I was thinking that were buried under other thoughts. But as I was, you know, typing it out, the thoughts came to the front of the head. So maybe that will yeah. help too. And that's a, that's a therapeutic technique that has to be guided uh, because you want to make sure that as you use that technique, you're on a road to uh, it being successful because it can also challenge some things and you want to make sure that if it does or bring up some things, you are working with a medical provider. So thanks for sharing that. All right. Do we have any other comments here in Omaha? How about on Zoom? Just thank you. Jewel? Hi, I'm Jewel. I'm in Kentucky. And I have two topics that I would like to bring to your attention in case it is something you're not aware of. The first is one you're probably aware of, and that is mental health hospitals taking white canes away from their blind patients, which can cause extreme stress in an already stressful situation. Um, I have personal experience with that. I have PTSD and I was inpatient several times for that. And every time they took my white cane away and said, you either ride in a wheelchair or you use the rails. And it can be very stressful. Um, and also other people don't notice that you're blind. And I, there was one patient who I ran into her a couple of times and she started screaming in my face because I ran into her and she didn't understand that I'm blind. Um, so taking a white cane away from a blind patient is a very serious problem um, in mental health hospitals for inpatient situations. The other thing that I want to mention is um, is not as important as a white cane, obviously, but entertainment inpatient is severely lacking for blind people. Uh, they don't have access to Braille. They don't have access to accessible games um it seems like everything they do is related to the tv or board games or books and none of it's accessible so i think it's a very serious situation because a blind patient who's in there because of mental health issues if there's nothing for them to do they're going to be stuck in their head and also feel left out which will just make it worse um, so that's the two things I wanted to mention. And I wondered what you have, what you thought about that. And uh, I really am looking forward to seeing what the mental health committee does. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for both of those. And we want you to know that they are on the list and you will be hearing more as we get into this and raise what you have raised, which are very critical um, issues. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Sheila, I have two questions and I'll try to make them quick. Um, one is a lot like someone else who was talking about um, the autism spectrum. I have never been able to wear masks all my life, and that was never a problem until COVID. And now I can't use paratransit because they insist on masks and not just the shield that I usually can <coughs> wear in other places. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get an adult diagnosis, which is almost impossible, believe it or not, in California. Either that or I don't know the secret password or whatever. 
Um, but my feeling is that I'm not broken. I've been this way all my life, whatever this way is. And in my medical provider, the only mental health they're doing is if you hang, have anxiety or depression. And I don't think that my anxiety is any worse. Uh, I, I, I don't think I have any overarching anxiety and I'm not depressed. So I'm not sure what to do with that. And then the other thing is um, I would like to um, have some discussion had on all these documents that we have to have, I want to write them electronically and keep them up to date electronically and not do print. And the cited legal system only wants quill and parchment, which are ancient technologies and can't be updated by a blind person on their own. And my last comment is um, the thing own. And my last comment is um the things that Jewel just spoke about aren't just happening in Kentucky. My sweetheart has had them happen here in California. Absolutely. And thank you for that, because that's part of re the reason I think that we as a national organization must come together with our state affiliates to address that. And thank you, because here again, you have raised some very critical issues that we intend on giving um, some attention. So thanks. And the list is growing and growing. Um, let me just do a room check. Omaha, anyone? All right. Let's do three more hands, and then we're going to segue to Mark's portion. Chris, go. Hi there. Um, great, great program. Uh, I'm obviously, I'm not a medical doctor nor a, a therapist. Um, but I would say that, that sometimes uh, there can be a number of reasons why we have certain symptoms. And I think it's it's worthwhile making sure that you have a good uh, evalu medical evaluation to make sure uh, that you're, you know, there's not some other piece of health that's uh, impacting you. Um, <clears throat> I'll talk tomorrow about my experience, but I, I, uh, I chose to have a neuropsych eval, which is sort of the uh, sort of combination of, of medical and, and psych. Unfortunately, that's not covered by insurance, so it can be pretty expensive, but it did identify some issues that otherwise wouldn't have been identified. And lastly, lastly, for people that have had hands taken away in institutions and whatnot, there's a nationwide uh, system in, in every state, and I didn't say that well, there's a federal law that creates in every state a protection advocacy system. And these protection advocacy organizations have specific rights to assist people in institutions. Um, and they have a right to access those institutions. So if you've been institutionalized voluntarily or otherwise, and you can't get Braille or you can't get talking books, or they won't let you have your charger or they want to take your white cane, um, definitely reach out to your state protection advocacy agency because they can in fact uh, help you and will do so in no charge. And we're going to be working with the state affiliates to make sure that um, your state um, affiliate, your you know, CCB chapter, as California or Kentucky has information and we're putting some things in place. So look forward to it. And in the meantime, um, let us know about these things and like you did today. Thanks, Chris. Area code 269 ending in 232. Hi, my name's April Martin and I currently live in Alabama and 
Um, I'm so excited that ACB has put together this committee. And I had a mental health power of attorney for Michigan. And getting that updated and just getting access to stuff down here has been so much harder than living in the Midwest. And I just wondered if, I know you're going to be addressing each affiliate, but um, for example, the televideo video health for my psychiatrist is totally inaccessible. And because, and I would try to tell them, you know, he's got to call me. I can't do it this way. But I wouldn't know until he sent the link or called me if he were, you know, which way he was going to go. And I missed several appointments during COVID because of that. And the other thing is there are no Braille um, numbers in the elevator uh, where his office is. And it's a pretty big mental health practice in a bank building that they rent from the bank building. And I, I just wondered if you had noticed differences in, from state to state because <laughs> I, I really uh, have, yeah. and I think it's oh, really yeah. lacking down here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's why I think we had to come together and approach a lot of these things nationally, but I think Mark may have some comment on that. So, Anthony, thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your stories this afternoon. We take them very seriously. All right, we'll take that one more quick hand, and then we're going to listen to Mr. Mark Riker. Linda. I want to say uh, to the gentleman who is experiencing issues of anger, first of all, it takes courage to even admit that and to say, second of all, you're dealing with some serious grief issues. And what you might do is ask your pastor if he's aware of a Stephen ministry. And what that is is a parish support okay, group. Excuse me, excuse me, Anthony. Yep. Anthony, I, I, excuse me, but I think we need to perhaps switch subjects here. We cannot um, give out anything that's interpreted as mental health or medical or treatment oriented things but i thank you at least for your heart that wants to share thanks a lot all right so mark reichert is going to speak to us um from the governmental side of advocating for yourself welcome mark (laughs) thanks so much i hope you can hear me all right this has been a bit of a a frustrating afternoon i apologize uh had no no power, no cell coverage for a while. And you can imagine since my heart has been in this, doing this committee and participating in this group, you can just imagine me pacing around in freneticism in my apartment. Uh, it, it's So <laughs> I'm glad it worked out that I was able to, to join even for just a couple of minutes. And thanks. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to hear some of the comments uh, here uh, in this latter part of the program. And so I, I can so appreciate and relate uh, to a lot of things that were said. So in terms of the advocating for ourselves as a group, um, I think it's really all about relationships, right? I mean, every, everything about advocacy is about relationships, first and foremost. You can have all the right strategies in the world to, um, you know, uh, be prepared, be organized, um, be succinct. Uh, you know, you have your act together as much as one can, or you could even have the best advocate working for you, um, but unless you've laid a groundwork of relationships with those that you need to advocate with, 
you're just another person with your hand out um, trying to get attention in a world where there are a gazillion people and a gazillion causes uh, looking for attention. And there's only so many times that you can do gimmicky things to try to get attention, right? So it's really about relationships. I always have said to people who wanted to go to a policymaker, folks in Washington, D.C., and if the first time that you're sitting down talking to particularly a junior staffer in an office, you say, hi there, I know you don't know me, you never heard of me before, maybe you've never heard of this organization called the American Council of the Blind before, which is highly doubtful since I think pretty much everybody knows exactly who we are up there. But I think you get the point. If you come in and you say, I know you don't know me from Adam or Eve, and I want a gazillion dollars for this program, uh, it's really important. And, uh, you know, it, it even goes so far as to be so rude and ineffective as to say to them, and by the way, I'm a constituent, and uh, you work for me, gosh darn it, um, this is not going to work. Right. What you want to do is develop a relationship first with that office so that they've come to know you, respect you, understand who you are, and what your needs are. All of that stuff is exactly the same kind of approach that I think we need to be taking in ACB and in the blindness system with respect to organizations that uh, are representing the interests of mental health professionals, uh, some of the clinical settings that have been talked about here you know, recently, uh, there are associations representing uh, those interests, uh, hospitals or even outpatient facilities, uh, physicians groups, and the like. And it's really, you know, there's no, there's no secret sauce here. It's about our working as a group, not only as ACB, but as a community to uh, formulate a plan on what precisely it is that we want to try to say to them. Again, not sweeping in with uh, a lot of specific requests and by golly, you people are falling down on the job, even if so, frankly, they may very well be, but that they, we, they need to get to know who we are and what the needs of our community are. I also think our community is at the very early stages of being to sort out exactly what that is. I mean, I think there are some macro issues and we've talked about it already here, right? Just a straight up misunderstanding or almost deliberate indifference to the need of a patient or client who may have some uh, sort of mental or emotional stuff going on in their lives and who also happens to be visually impaired. And there are misconceptions, et cetera, uh, that are made or they're held uh, and approaches that just don't, don't compute for that population. So for sure, we know that is true, but there may be other things uh, as well uh, that we want to make sure we're prepared once we've got ourselves a bit more organized. And we go to those groups, ask to sit down with them, meet with their senior leadership and work with them to develop uh, a more sort of comprehensive, longer range plan for making change. It may not be a, a public policy strategy. I expect there probably will be some elements where state law or federal law may need to be examined at various specific points. But there will also be um, just straight up practices, uh, maybe even things that may impact the professional codes of ethics for various professions and how they go about more individually uh, evaluating and serving uh, needs of our, our folks. And so I think um, 
my, my sort of wrap up point here, Anthony, would be two things. Um, for sure, there are going to be other communities of people with disabilities with whom we can make common cause. Uh, every time I ever say that, usually some people will jump up and say, but wait a minute, you know, we're different from them and they're different from us. If we start doing that, how do we make sure our point gets across? I mean, that's absolutely true. I think what you need is to find allies in other parts of the disability community who, who are prepared to come to the table where those mental health professionals and other groups that we need to meet with uh, recognize us as full partners. And that is not, that's not always the case, I mean, no matter what you're talking about. You'd be talking about technology accessibility. You could pick your favorite issue and there's going to be some groups that we can work, communities that we can work with uh, more than others. In the special education context, for example, naturally I think of this, uh, it's the deafness and hard of hearing community that is perhaps our strongest partner there. But so you get the point. So I think that's, that is for sure that we need to branch out uh, as we formulate this longer range plan uh, in looking and how we can partner with specific disability communities uh, with whom we can make common cause. And then the last thing, Anthony, would be, um, you know, be, being willing to, when we are, as we are developing these relationships with these various professional communities and others, to hear what their needs are and to think about how, quite candidly, uh, we can work with them to help them achieve some of their objectives. So I'll give you, you know, a practical or a, an analogy. Uh, we've often talked about the need for accessible currency, and yet there are, are other uh, communities, uh, particularly communities of color, who are uh, have been interested for a long time in the Harriet Tubman bill. Why not think about uh, how our communities can work together for not only promoting diversity uh, with respect to currency and you know and and, and acknowledging heroes. Uh, that are uh, uh, in other communities through the currency that we have, as well as making sure the currency is accessible. The same kind of principle is true here. And the one example I will give as a practical matter uh, is our colleagues in the, um, the licensed professional counseling uh, community. And these are people, the licensed professional counselors, there's a gazillion of them. I think there's over 200,000 of them across the country. This is just one group. I don't, you know, I don't, no one's paying me to promote them. It's just one group among several that I think we ought to be reaching out to, to make sure that when they are meeting and interacting with folks who are blind and visually impaired, that they're understanding our needs properly. The licensed professional counselors, unlike a lot of other uh, professions, in the mental health world do not have their services paid for by the Medicare system. Uh, there are other mental health professionals, for sure, physicians, uh, but there are others uh, who have their services covered. These folks don't. And, uh, and so if we were to sit down with the licensed professional counselors, for example, and they want to uh, seek Medicare coverage for their services, they may very well invite us to join in letters of support, for instance, with them uh, to make a presentation on Capitol Hill or elsewhere and say, gee, uh, let me tell you, um, I, if I had had somebody that I could have turned to uh, in, you know, in, in my personal situation, 
uh, when I was dealing with some issues and, uh, and that person had their services paid for through our Medicare system, that would have provided me as a person with disabilities who may happen to be receiving healthcare through Medicare, uh, that would have improved my, my uh, health and well-being. I, you know, again, I, I'm not going to si- sign on, a, on a, a document today in front of all of you that says, I think that absolutely we need to be joining with the, with the licensed professional counselors to promote their agenda for getting Medicare reimbursement. It's just an example of the kind of things that I think we should be prepared to uh, be thinking about. In other words, it's not just all about us. Uh, when we meet with these communities, we should be thinking about ways in which uh, we can bring things to the table that will uh, inspire them to uh, partner with us. And when we have done that in the past, when this community, our community, when ACD in particular, but all of us in blindness, when we've done that in the past, it has been incredibly successful. We did that with the, the publishers in the textbook, K through 12 textbook accessibility area, you know, coming to the table, giving them uh, an approach that meets their bottom line. Uh, there was some of that for sure in the technology space when we were talking about the CDAA and on and on. So um, with that, I'll, I'll stand down. Uh, thanks uh, y'all for letting me come in. I apologize for being late. Uh, gotta love technical technical glitches, but um, so appreciate this and, and uh, so pleased to see the uh, outpouring of interest in the attendance today. Thanks. All right. Anyone here in home, Omaha have a question or a comment for Mark? All right. Pam, Mark, are you uh, ready to take some questions from Zoom? Who's up first? Marjorie or Marjorie Donovan. Hi there, my fellow friends. Um, I wanted to talk about the advocacy part. Um, I want to tell briefly two experiences. Uh, several years ago, when I was in very severe chronic pain and dealing with the very challenging work situation, I was um, in a hotel in San Francisco and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I literally was one block from the hospital. And the first call I made was to my partner who lives two and a half hours away. And I said, please head towards the city. I'm walking over to the hospital. I get in there and I find out the bottom line is I was having a panic attack that was caused by stress, um, a a lot of different things. And um, so by the wisdom of God, I'm going to say, I knew to call for someone to come and be with me, even though it was going to be a couple hours. From that point, I learned that having a an advocate is very, very helpful. Earlier this year, I, I moved change health plans to an HMO from a PPO, HMO Health Maintenance Organization, from a preferred provider option. That was probably the worst mistake I've made in my whole medical history. And... Um, I was taken off of one of my medications and I kept going downhill, 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 downhill. I kept advocating and I finally realized at 4.45 on a Friday night when they asked me if I was suicidal, which I was not at the moment, but I said not yet. And that raised some eyebrows and some concerns and the bottom line is I got my medication and everything turned out well. That did not end my advocacy. The psychiatrist that I was assigned to who took me off my meds and wasn't prescribing until I could see him, this was two months into the HMO, 
I filed a complaint with the state of California medical board because he is a psychiatrist. That is still under investigation. I don't know how long states take to do that. But I, I say this just because even if you can't get where you need to at the time, you could advocate in the end, or at least I was able to. And, um, and um, I hope that that will help some other patient. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. 269. I really appreciated Mark's comments. Uh, this is April Martin again. And I'd like to share an experience I had here in Alabama that just floored me. But I think we have a good opportunity with ACB maybe to reach out to the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, I was at a cross-disability conference in the exhibit hall with my guide dog, and I walked up to the table and said, you know, what is this table? And she said, we don't work with people like you. We're only for people with mental health issues. And after I took my jaw up off the floor, I said, well, my mental health issues are what keep me from working full time. As a mental health advocacy and consumer group, you should know that those invisible disabilities can apply to anyone. And, you know, I, I did go back and talk with that group later. But I think that is a consumer organization that maybe we could do some work with. And my actual question is, when does this group meet? I mean, committee meet, and are there community calls led by this group that I could start participating in? The committee was formally appointed. Yes, and if you don't mind, I'd like to take that answer, that sure. question, please, as the chair. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, um, at this point, we are in our formative stage. We only became a committee effective Friday evening. So there are a number of things. That we, thank you. Thank you. We're excited. There are a number of things that we are working out. Okay. And so rather than give those answers right now, if you just give us a minute, we've got some formation okay. things to do and some coordination. But what I think we can say to you is there will definitely be meetings where there will be an opportunity to participate. And the other thing is that we do plan to be very active in our um, ACB community. And what you're doing today is helping with that. So please, please stay tuned. The other thing, I think you'll be excited to know that a few of us attended the National Alliance on Mental Illness Conference that was held a couple of weeks ago. So we've already oh, cool. begun that process mm -hmm, of um, connecting with them, and you'll be hearing more. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Nikki. Pam, I know you from some PCB committees. <laughs> Of course. Hi. Hey. So I have a question, and this is going to be kind of a strange one, but like with all the advocacy and everything, when you're dealing, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression myself, and a lot of it is, you know, stems some of it from physical things and just other things and a lot of stress in my life, and I'm just, I've been dealing with it for years, and I've had hormonal issues all my life. So what happens when you get just tired of the fight? Do you ever just get tired of it and say, I'm just, I just want to give up? How do you counterbalance that? Does that, does that make sense? It does. Because I think that there aren't too many people who haven't had those days and those moments. And um, 
I think that's why we often focus a lot on supporting each other. And as we talked earlier today, whether we were talking about the relationships among organizations, we're also talking about the relationships among people because I think that's why we need each other. Um, that's why we come yeah. together. Um, that's why I'm happy to hear what I would call this afternoon courageous conversation because it takes a lot to do that. And, Anthony, if we have a few minutes, could, maybe we could say a few words about tomorrow's event. Absolutely. You know, our President Spoon spoke about kindness a couple of times this convention already. And I've been thinking to myself while listening to everyone speak today, we should make sure that we take time to be kind to ourselves as well. <laughs> we really need to remember to be kind to ourselves. So can we have a big round of applause for new chair Pam and Mark Riker. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it there on Zoom, but there's some exuberant <laughs> clapping going on. Thank everyone for joining us. Have a great rest of your fourth, Pam, Mark, and everyone else out there.